listeners and welcome back to Immigrantly where we tackle questions that people often think about but never ask. I'm your host Sadia Khan and I'm so excited to bring you another phenomenal discussion as we talk about music, specifically hip hop. Yep, you heard it right. Now I admit that my knowledge of this particular music genre is quite basic, but it'll be fun to learn together. Why not, right? So, music has been an integral part of my life. From classical and popular music to rock, you'll find an entire gamut on my Spotify playlist. Whenever I feel sad or happy, worried or excited, I put on my favorite track to either calm myself down or lift myself. And I don't know about you, but music has this innate quality that allows people to get in touch with their inner and complicated emotions. It's as if various musical scores are synthesizing the hard-to-articulate thoughts into bite-sized, easily digestible nuggets. Given my appreciation of music, one might think that I at least know more about hip-hop, especially due to the global influence of hip-hop culture on music styles, fashion, technology, art, entertainment, language, dance, education, politics, media, and so much more. But unfortunately, as I said earlier, I don't know much. Maybe because growing up, I was told that hip-hop was somehow vulgar or superficial. A gross misrepresentation erasing its spirit and power. Still, I find it fascinating. I have been trying to listen and read up on it a lot more. Now, for those who don't know, hip-hop was created in New York's urban centers by a group of marginalized youth who were looking for a way to express themselves while pulling inspiration from their African and Caribbean roots in the early 70s against a backdrop of a decline in manufacturing jobs, economic hardships, and racial inequities. It became mainstream in the 90s. Since its inception, hip-hop has defined entire generations of people of color as a powerful tool for social activism. Today, it continues to expand beyond being just a music category to a lifestyle adopted by those who consider themselves the other. The music journalist Robert Christgau called it custom-made to combat the anime that preys on adolescence wherever nobody knows their name. Such an honest and intriguing perspective, right? Hip-hop has indeed created a strong sense of community for the youth of color. And so, to satiate my thirst for learning, talk more about hip-hop and discuss food and music in general, we have Zainab Hasnan, a DJ, music producer and writer based in New York, who is currently working as a full-time artist. Born in Pakistan and raised in the States, she plays weekly kicks and headlines shows, including recently teaching for actor Riz Ahmed in Brooklyn. Is, is, is she also writes for many music journals and magazines, interviewing up-and-coming artists in New York's hip-hop scene and new artists from around the country. She's been teaching under the moniker Z Muffin for over 10 years. 
So let's get started. Welcome to Immigrantly. I'm so excited to have you here. And you were delayed by the subway, which is not surprising to New Yorkers. So what happened? Uh, thank you, first of all, for having me. And yeah, I mean, how do you even explain what happens with the subway? The subway <laughs> just is the subway. That is the explanation. Right, right. Even with giving yourself extra time, there's no guarantee you'll get somewhere on time. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's the same with traffic, like if you're driving into the city, right? Exactly. Sometimes West Side Highway is all blocked and it's so frustrating. I wish there was some other way where people could commute in New York. Walking is my favorite way of commuting. Not bad. Or biking if <laughs> or we biking. had biking yeah. lanes, proper biking lanes. We don't still have them. Not across the city. In certain places, it's it's easier, but sometimes you'll get on a main road and there'll be no bike lane. And right. You might get run over by a car or truck, <laughs> so you have to be yeah. extra careful. So I was browsing through your Instagram I believe you were in Pakistan. Yes, and I was. it was a visual delight. Thank you. You took so many beautiful pictures and the clothes that you were wearing and the food that you were eating. And I, I wish I was there somehow, uh, if I could be <laughs> transported. How was the trip? It was amazing. It always fulfills me every time I go. And I made a promise to myself to never go longer than a year without going back uh, to Pakistan. But it was wonderful. I spent a lot of time with family, of course, eating a lot. <laughs> traveling around. <laughs> Eating was the priority. <laughs> That's always the priority, right? Absolutely. So tell me, you were born in Pakistan, yes. but then you grew up in the States. Yeah, so I was born in Lahore and I moved to the States when I was five hmm. to New York, Long Island specifically, but I moved back to Pakistan when I was 11 for a year and a half about just to do some schooling there and it was kind of a back and forth with my parents not really being sure where to put down <laughs> roots but we ended up coming back to the states and I moved to the city when I was 16 so I've been here most of my life. And your parents live in, in New York yeah in Long Island. They live in Long Island mm -hmm. which would you consider it a burb or is it like oh, yeah. it is definitely right? hardcore suburbs yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I always wanted to leave the suburbs I used to go to the city a lot as a kid never for parties I never was allowed to go to parties or you know fun teenager activities but my sister and I loved going to shows in the city so we were big I mean we've been into music since we were kids and that was our way of going to New York going to different venues even before we were 18 and I knew from a really young age I wanted to live in New York. talk about music, Zainab. You are a DJ. Yes. You write about music, which is so impressive. And Thank I you. love your moniker, 
Z-Muffin. <laughs> Is there a story behind this? You know, it's so funny. Every time I get asked that question, I feel like I should have a better answer to it because there really is no significance to it other than Z is just a nickname that most of my friends and some family call me. It was Z and then the muffin was just truly random. I love the way the word muffin sounds. And (laughs) it was a silly like inside joke between a friend of mine in high school. Like we would write down our favorite sounding words and muffin was one of them. I remember I just made like a Twitter account when Twitter first launched and it was just Z Muffin and that was it. I just stuck with that. It wasn't, there was no significance behind it. I just thought it sounded cute. It was like very memorable. So, and why not? Yeah, why not? It sounds cute (laughs) and that should suffice. Yeah. Tell me, how did you start? What drew you to working in? music, especially DJing, because whatever little I know about DJing, it's a very gendered space and it's basically co-opted or taken over by cisgender white males. Yeah. If I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. So how did you break into that and what was that journey like? Yeah, it started with my love for music. So it was just from going to shows and being into all different types of music. I feel so lucky that I moved to New York when I did because, as you know, New York is the creator of hip-hop, the hometown of hip-hop, and so many other styles of music. Jazz, like New York, is the cultural center of the world, in my opinion. So it started with just being exposed to different types of music by Mm. going to shows. And that was everything ranging from like punk, hip hop, indie music. Um, I had like a really wide variety of genres that I was into. And I also was classically trained in viola. So I played classical music growing up. Shout out to my mom who took me to so many different lessons (laughs) my whole life. And I was also a dancer. So I I used to do gatak dance and like Indian dance growing up. So I really just loved the expression of music, Mm -hmm. whether that was through playing music or dancing or going to shows. It was just something I knew I wanted to be around. And as I got older and I went to college, so I went to university at NYU, I would go to different parties and shows and I was still really young. when I I graduated when I was 20, so I was never able to legally go to clubs. (laughs) But that didn't stop me. I would see how DJs would control the energy of the room and how the entire night was really determined by the quality of the music played. I thought to myself, because I had such a love for so many different types of music, and I loved creating a positive energy that other people could feed off of through music, I naturally gravitated towards that as an art and thought, okay, like, obviously I love playing viola, I love playing music, but To me, DJing felt like storytelling. It's a mode of storytelling and you get to also exchange energies with other people in the room. And I was like, I want to know how to do that. Hmm. So that's kind of how I got into the art of DJing. So when you're performing, what kind of audience do you enjoy? There's no particular kind of people. I think it's just anyone really who loves music. I like to be around people who are there to enjoy music, to dance, and to have a good time. And that can be any type of crowd. New York is notorious sometimes for having a tough crowd. For example, if you go out somewhere in London or in in Europe, I've generally noticed that people love to dance, like really come out to dance. Whereas that's not necessarily the case everywhere in New York City, but there are definitely spaces in New York City where people are like, I'm out to dance, you know? (laughs) Or, you know, New New Yorkers are kind of notorious for like standing in the corner and judging you silently and like bopping their head. I'm one of those New Yorkers. (laughs) I wish 
I knew how to dance. So for me, it's my lack of expertise, I guess, or understanding of dance itself. I do live vicariously through others mm-hmm. who are dancing um, and who are doing it unapologetically and without any concern or regard for whoever is looking at them or whatever is going around them. Oh, you don't need to know how to dance. You just need to know that you want to move your body. And that's it. I don't think you need to have a skill for dancing. Or even if you are standing in a corner nodding your head and that's your way of appreciating the music, then it is what oh. it is. But as someone standing up there and playing music, the best moments are when someone is vigorously dancing to the music (laughs) or comes up to you and says, oh my God, that was like the best night of my life. I had such a good time. That's when it's so rewarding and feels so fulfilling. And that's why I love doing what I do because I get to meet different types of people and play all different types of music and connect with so many different personalities and groups. I I just feel like it's a never-ending discovery of community and sounds and how things translate in different spaces. And it's just so in, it's endlessly interesting. So you DJed for Riz Ahmed recently. Yes, I did. In Brooklyn. Just an FYI, we've been trying to get this person on our podcast for the last <laughs> three years. So if anybody is listening who can connect us to Riz Ahmed, why not? How was that? It was amazing. I... I'm so grateful for that opportunity, and Riz is such an amazing collaborator and artist and was just so great to work with. We had a sound check, well, several rounds of sound check before the event, and it was so great. He was just so friendly, so energetic, and so grateful that I was even doing this show for him. And I'm like, I'm grateful that you're making me a part of this. And to your point about DJing being heavily white, male, cisgendered. Mm. I just felt really appreciative that another fellow Pakistani was reaching out to not only another Pakistani, but a woman at that, because there's very few of us Desi women. And if you get even more specific, Pakistani women who DJ. Maybe I don't know them. So if you're listening to this and you're a Pakistani DJ or an aspiring Pakistani DJ, hit me up because I want to connect. But there is probably like I can count on my two hands how many of us exist. So it was amazing to just have that platform and that opportunity and to connect with other like-minded artists and people. And of course, Hassan Minaj was also there. It was amazing to see him and connect with him and so many other Daisies in our community. And the energy and the feedback I got was so wonderful. And it did a lot for me personally in just getting my name out there. So it was really amazing. Zainab, you said that there are very few Pakistani DJs. Do you think it's more cultural or is it, and an extension of culture would be people prefer traditional professions for financial stability or security? Or do you think there's some other reason? I think there's many reasons, and it comes down to the individual at the end of the day. But I know the likelihood of me pursuing this would have been much lower if I had probably lived the rest of my life out in Pakistan. It would have been much more unlikely that I became a DJ or that I pursued something in the arts. And by proxy of just living in New York City, which is such a creative artist community city, you're inspired much more on a daily basis to kind of pursue these things. And for anyone in Pakistan, as you know, you have to be sort of in a position of privilege to be able to pursue something in the arts because... Mm -hmm. The economy and the way of life there is completely different from what we're living in in America, and the opportunity is just so much more limited. So you do have to be in a position of privilege, not only in terms of access to 
getting platforms to play in Pakistan because there's not very many. And as we know, there is sort of this elite bubble in Pakistan and for artists as well. Of course, there are artists who start from the ground up, but (laughs) there's very few who didn't come from money or not even money, but have some sort of connections. This is not a shot on any artists in Pakistan who are doing it. There are plenty who just started from nothing. But I'm just saying it's, it's a lot more rare and it's a lot more difficult. And the actual expense of DJing, buying mm. equipment, you know, that's another aspect of it. Where, I never thought of that. Yeah. I, so when I got started, I was working in investment banking. I was 19 oh, or 20. Wow. Yeah, I was 20 years old and I had just started my career in investment. That lasted eight months. But I used the money that I made at that job to be able to purchase a DJing course at a school that was called Dubspot. It doesn't exist anymore, but I used that money to go to this night school, basically, and build a network there and eventually start to buy equipment. And I started really, like, cheap, like $200, maybe like $150 turntables that a teacher at the school had laying around in his trunk and gave them to me and, like literally a two-channel mixer with no EQs. It was nothing. And that's how I started and really hustled and put myself out there and started to upgrade the equipment. But this is to circle back to what I was saying, that it's not a cheap hobby and it's not a cheap Mm. thing to get into. Of course, the equipment is a maybe a one-time investment, but you'll end up having to upgrade it. So that's one aspect of it, just the accessibility and the privilege and the price of sort of getting into this game. The other aspect is Even me as a woman putting myself out there, you know, I put a lot of uh, videos up on TikTok related to DJing and all types of other things. But the comments that I get sometimes from literally only men, maybe some women sprinkled in their internalized misogyny, will be like, oh, your parents know that you DJ or you DJ or you're out in these clubs. Like the judgment and the sexism and the misogyny Mm -hmm. in our society, in Pakistani society, the patriarchy that exists is still so, so prevalent and entrenched in our psyche that it's, it takes a lot of confidence and a lot of like, I don't give a fuck what you're saying to continue going. And it can really get to you, you know, like I would be lying if I didn't say that some of these comments sometimes get to me. But at the same time, I'm like, well, you live, continue to live in your little small-minded world, but women are doing things that are just like men. And honestly, because we're emotional creatures and we know how to read emotions and to feed energy, we're better at it than you mm. are. So mm. that's my thought around why I think not a lot of Pakistanis get into it. And the other aspect you mentioned of security, that's 100% another aspect because we are conditioned and taught to pursue secure careers like being a doctor, engineer, lawyer, you know, the the holy trinity. Right. And any, anything else, I think bankers in there now and, you know, marketing or big tech, those are all acceptable areas to be in. And there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you genuinely enjoy it. But there's this guilt also as a layer of being a woman where you're fighting this constant guilt. And as your podcast is called Immigrantly, as an immigrant, to make sure you're fulfilling the desires that your parents had set out for you. but I think there's other ways to fulfill those desires and to make your parents happy. It's just that they're not necessarily used to seeing these types of things. Zainab, I'm curious. You said you were in investment banking. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what headspace were you in at that time? Because from investment banking to music, 
Tell me if there is any connection that I'm missing. Oh, there's no connection. I was ju- I just graduated and I needed a job and everyone around me was recruiting into these banking jobs and I studied political science and economics at school and had nothing to do with banking and I had no idea what I wanted to do as a job, but I did know I wanted to be in music, which wasn't a job necessarily. So I used that as a means to an end. I it like was that. it was like, okay, this is going to pay my bills. And I've had like so many jobs since then. After investment banking, I worked at like a mini startup. I worked at the DJ school. I worked for Andrew Yang. I worked for Esther Perel. I worked for Spotify for almost five years. And and that was really great too. Working at Spotify was an amazing experience because it was still working in music right. while, while DJing. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I realized, and this is not a shot to anyone who works in corporate America or enjoys the structure of a nine to five job. It's just not an environment that I had thrived in. Mm-hmm. And I was doing a disservice to myself by not pursuing being an artist full-time. Absolutely. Then let's talk about hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Now, I have very limited knowledge of hip-hop, but I am fascinated by this music genre because it brings together two things that I value the most, activism and art, right? So this was a medium which was created to express feelings of exclusion and has been defined as a culture and a lifestyle rather than a music genre. That's something that's been established. Now we see a lot of South Asians using this tool of expression to tell their stories about racial inequities, social inequities, religious inequities, especially in the post-9-11 era of over-surveilled communities and exclusionary immigration policies. And I wonder what kind of vernacular are South Asians incorporating into hip-hop, which may or may not be similar to what other communities have experienced or used? I think that to your point about hip-hop being a marriage of art and activism, I think first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that hip-hop is a Black art form and was created by the Black community. And as we know, Black Americans are disproportionately at a disadvantage in every aspect of society in America. So that is kind of where hip-hop came from, in addition to this art form of breaking, right? Breaking is a big part of hip-hop, and what I mean by breaking is breakdancing. So taking breaks from different songs, looping them, and that's how, you know, DJ Cool Herc in the Bronx, 1970-something, don't quote me on the year. I think it started in the 70s. In the 70s, um, in the Bronx, is where hip-hop was born. But the beautiful thing about hip-hop is it has expanded outside of the Black community into other underserved communities, and not even communities, but individuals who just have a story to tell. It's a storytelling art form, right? And a vivid one at that, but also maybe with some fantasy involved, depending on the type of artist that you are. And that's the beauty of it. It's like, it it can be anything you want it to be. And for Brown artists specifically, first of all, hip-hop has become the biggest genre in the world, period. I think it's become a little synonymous with pop almost, right? If you look at top 40 on the radio um, globally or in the U.S., it's mostly hip-hop. Hip-hop is dominating the charts, and it has been for the last 10 years, and it's going to continue to dominate it. So it is just now an art form that any community can opt into and kind of make their own and tell their own story. So for the Brown community, I think it's different. It's different from person to person. If you're speaking specifically about 
Pakistanis or Indians like coming from from like India, from the gutter, as I like to say, or from the gutter of Pakistan. I think it's so beautiful and interesting to use that as an art form to tell their story and in their own native language and in their tongue. And hip hop has spanned borders. You'll there's French hip hop, there's German hip hop, and it's all so localized and nuanced and it's not the same. So like even New York hip hop versus Atlanta hip hop, two totally different styles. It's just so something that's What are some of the differences say between New York and Atlanta hip hop? It can be between the beats and the cadences of what the rappers their flow for example, right? So Migos were an Atlanta rap group, Rest in Peace, Take Off. They developed this cadence of rapping that was really unique to Atlanta. And their beats, it's trap music. So Atlanta is kind of like responsible for trap music and making trap music globally accessible. Whereas New York has a different sound where New York rappers might rap over drill beats and drill beats are a little bit faster and more aggressive. They have like a different style of rapping. So you can you can kind of hear it. Like Pop Smoke is the quintessential New York drill mm-hmm. rapper versus like Young Thug is a quintessential Atlanta rapper. So even from region to region, it's so different. And then even within New York, you have like New York drill And then you just have like classic old school New York hip hop. There's mm. Joey Badass is doing that sound still in in 2022. So it's like it's even within New York, within cities, there's different nuances. So for Desi rappers, I think it's, again, it just gets so localized to you could be a Desi rapper in New York. You could mm. be a Desi rapper in the UK. You could be a Desi rapper in India or Pakistan. So it's it's so nuanced and different and different and there's no like one size fits all. And that's why it's so hard to put hip hop in a box and define hip hop as this one thing because that it has naturally evolved like all art forms do and all art is just an interpolation of other art, mm. right? Mm. So it's just what the artist wants it to be. So tell me what about hip hop resonates with you? As a DJ, as an artist, what part of hip hop really speaks to you? So when I first started listening to music, I think punk and, and like punk and indie music was really what I first punk rock really is what I gravitated to first and like punk is this sort of like stick it to the man, anti-establishment, anti-authority type of genre and I really resonated with that as a young Muslim woman growing up in New York because it was like this space for me to let loose and be free without judgment other people who think like that and want to be like that and part of the punk community is like moshing and going to shows and literally letting your body just like let loose and mm. crowd surfing and all of that and like i feel like so much of what hip hop has is similar to punk like that idea of anti-establishment anti-authority I saw a lot of crossover in punk and hip hop and I remember I naturally sort of gravitated towards hip hop after that Tribe Called Quest was one of the first groups I really got into and I just gravitated towards the storytelling towards the wordplay and especially towards the the beats I loved like the underlying beats that were in hip hop and it was unlike anything I had heard and it's evolved so much like I said and has changed and every year every month there's something new something fresh something exciting a new voice a new flow a new subject matter a new just a new perspective and i find that so fascinating and so interesting and it just i'm just drawn to the ethos of what hip hop represents hmm. which is you know storytelling speaking your truth anti establishment just being your real raw self <laughs> 
You know, that's so interesting. And that's what draws me to the idea of knowing more about hip-hop. As I sit here and listen to you talk about different iterations of hip-hop, there's this wealth of information and knowledge that you're sharing with us, which is incredible. But at the same time, we hear from older generations about hip-hop being vulgar and superficial. How did that come about? Well, I don't think it's completely untrue in certain spaces. I mean, but that's, but that, okay, so I, I like to use Mob Deep as an example, right? So Mob Deep are a duo from New York, old school hip-hop duo. And if you listen to a lot of the lyrics from Mob Deep, they're pretty violent and graphic. More drugs, mostly thugs. All of my thugs, they baby mom, daughters and sons. Dog blocks, the street lamp, shot the fuck out. Even from Notorious B.I.G., from Biggie. It's like graphic storytelling, right? But that's part of the art. And mm. it's it's also interpolated from their own lives, right. from their real experiences. So to equate that to being just just on a surface level saying it's vulgar, without really trying to understand where it came from is so reductive and unfair because Biggie is, like, people are still blasting Biggie in 2022. And it's for a reason. This man changed the direction of hip-hop and defined what New York hip-hop was. I mean, a lot of artists have defined what New York hip-hop is, including Jay-Z. But I like to use Biggie and Mob Deep as examples because this is their way of telling a story. And it's really complex and there's it takes different twists and turns and maybe they use vulgar language or they tell something a little graphic, but that's that's part of the journey. Uh, and sometimes I do think there's some hip-hop out there that's like lazy and misogynistic and I'm not going to sit here and deny that. Um, but that's not, that's not the core at which it started. And but it is true that with and, and as with any genre, there can be artists that are just lazily, you mm. know, adding to it and not really growing the subject matter. And the irony is that some of the artists who are not vulgar then get clowned on for being too clean and too, ah. you know, PG. And so it's like, what, how can you win? <laughs> but if it is about storytelling, Zainab, then how can we box what should or shouldn't be hip-hop, right? Because then if somebody is, you know, expressing their stories through clean language or narrative, that should be part of hip-hop. Or if they are using certain language that may be offensive to other people, even that is fine, right? Because it's, at the end of the day, somebody's lived experience that they are sharing through music. Exactly. So we've talked about how hip-hop transcends boundaries, geographic boundaries, language, cultural barriers. But how far do you think hip-hop, or to what extent do you think hip-hop can grow even more to soak up other cultures and to become more inclusive if it hasn't already? I think it already has. I Mm. don't think it has, like, a problem with inclusivity. Maybe if you're talking about the music industry or you know, men versus women and sort of men supporting other women, there's very few male hip-hop artists that will look out for other female hip-hop artists and put them on their songs, feature them in their albums. So there could be more of that. And I think there could be a lot more collaboration across borders, across sexes. There's so many ways in which that could develop. 
But I already think that that's happening. And mm. it's it's just a natural evolution. And it's like watching a child grow. <laughs> you just have to let it figure itself, its life out, it, and try new things and experiment. And, you know, we can't try to make it move in one direction or the other. But one exciting thing is to see that how many more women are dominating hip-hop right now. Right now, women are the stars. If you yeah. look at Glorilla, for example, if you haven't listened to her album, it's amazing. And it's it's so New York. Like, it made me excited. Yo, there's another hot New York rapper out there. And what I love is that Cardi B supported her and yeah. hopped on a song. And that's the type of shit that I want to see. I want to see the other women lifting each other up and collaborating with each other and continuing to own this wave of women that are dominating hip-hop. I love to see it. And it's really the golden age for women in hip-hop right now. So do you think women are supporting more women versus men supporting women? So it's different across genders? I think so. I personally think so, yes. I, but there's exceptions, of course. There's male artists who are amazing and collaborate with upcoming artists. Like, for example, there's that song, uh, London, with Bia and J. Cole. I'm in London, I like to go and shop at the mall, shop at the Prada, shop at the store, shop in the trumpet, stop at Dior. I love that collaboration because Bia is a relatively new player in the game, and J. Cole is obviously a seasoned veteran. So to have him hop on her song was obviously a really great look for her. And that song, with or without J. Cole, is amazing. So shout out to Bia for that banger. But that is an example of what I call like camaraderie between men and women rappers. I think we could stand to see a lot more of that. Then let's talk about hip hop in New York specifically, and I want to link it to gentrification that's happening, especially culturally dense parts of New York. So there, there is this very specific, almost unadulterated trait to street music, street scene, hip hop, right? How do you think gentrification will or has already impacted hip hop and are we at risk of loss of authenticity in those areas? I think that there's always a risk of that when, especially when this is a Black art form, right? But I, like I said, I don't think there's gatekeeping in this community. Like Eminem, for example, is one of the most successful yeah. rappers on the planet who is a white rapper from Detroit who had a lot of personal struggles, you know? So his story was just he respected the art form. Another thing is he respected the community that brought him up. So, for example, I remember, without naming names, there was a brown rapper who used to drop the N-word in his music. And that's, no. Like, that's a right. hard pass no. What gives you the the idea that you could possibly say that on a track and get away with it? Like, that's that's not for you. That'll never be for you. And you should never be saying that word, period, whether on a track or in real life or to your friends. And that's the gentrification aspect, which I started to see with a lot of like non-black rappers just using like black vernacular. That's not for you. So that is one thing <laughs> that I'm just like, mm -mm, like nip that in the bud quick, right? And that goes for white rappers too, which I think less and less white rappers are. <laughs> I don't think that's as much of a problem as it was maybe a couple years ago in that aspect of gentrification. And then there's like the privileged rappers, right? So maybe someone who just wants to make hip-hop, and that is, quote-unquote, the gentrification. It's not necessarily from a story of struggle coming up from from nothing to something. Um, but I, I do think that 
there's a space for that too, because sometimes you're just making hip hop. You're expressing yourself through this musical medium. That's not left for me to interpret whether that's good or bad. That's really for society to decide. Um, but that's just a natural evolution of things. Yeah, you're right. And in my mind, I'm thinking more about socioeconomic privileges that accrue to certain communities and certain individuals. And how does that dilute the, the ethos of hip hop in Correct. general, right? Right, right. I see what you're saying. But as you said, there's room for everyone to experiment within this music genre. Let's talk about your writing. Now, you've written for different music magazines and as a reviewer, and you've interviewed as well. Yes, I, I started off actually when I was at NYU. Uh, I used to work for an arts magazine or do that on the side. It was an extracurricular and interview different artists. What's the most rewarding part about interviewing up-and-coming artists or just sharing physical space with them? I love speaking to other artists, other people in general. I am just inspired from hearing stories of how someone started their journey in music or where they're headed in that, in that journey. And it's always so special to be just a little part in that journey. And you'll speak to someone when they first started, and then five years later, you'll look back at that conversation, and they've completely skyrocketed in their career and that's amazing to see and to have that conversation of like where did they start how are they how are they doing this and what are the different methods of focusing and creativity and it's just the more you know the more you have the power to grow yourself and everyone is so different and brings different perspectives so I'm grateful to every artist that's shared their space and their time with me to tell me about their creative process and their story all it's done is just inspire me and motivate me to continue to keep going. Do you have a preference DJing or writing? I don't have a preference because I've been doing both my whole life. I think it's just what I'm feeling in that mm. moment. I'm just someone who likes to storytell through any medium, really, mm. whether that's writing, making a mix, cooking, photography. There's just so many different mediums in which I like to express myself. So I, I have no preference per se, but I just want to express as much as I can through all these different mediums. On your website, you quote Chef Anthony Bourdain. It says, what we eat and what we listen to, it's what we are. Yes. <laughs> and I love this. I couldn't agree more. I don't know how to cook, but I love to eat good food. <laughs> uh, what do you think music and food have in common or what are some of the vital features that bring diaspora together when it comes to music and food? I think music and food are the two spaces or the two mediums in which you bring people together, in which you commune as, as you know, a group of people, as community. Music brings people together. So when you go to a festival or you go to a show or you go to a DJ set or you're listening to something with someone, that's an act of sharing energy together as a community, right? Exchanging energy, exchanging love between two people or a group of people. And it's the same thing for food. Especially being Pakistani, as anyone who knows who's listening to this, who's Asian, Pakistani, <laughs> of any culture, really. Food is how we come together. Food is how we communicate. Food is how we show love or withhold love. Food is the biggest expression of ourselves, I think. Love and of, care, love compassion. And care. 
It's everything. It's so everything, yeah. When when Anthony Bourdain said that, I, I forget, it was like in an episode, he just said that offhandedly to someone. And I was like, just aha, light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, this is, I've never heard a truer sta- statement in my life. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. And when you go to a restaurant, right, sometimes you're listening to music. There's music playing in the restaurant. It's all this like multi-sensory experience of just all your senses are heightened. And I think that food and music so naturally cross over and really are the greatest way to bring people together. Zena, what is on your Spotify playlist? So I'm actually doing a monthly Spotify playlist uh, called Muffin Tops. So <laughs> every month it'll be like November Muffin Tops, December Muffin Tops. So I'll definitely share that with the audience listening. And it's just things that I've been, not necessarily that have come out within that month, um, but things that I've been gravitating towards to, or music I've been listening to. So right now, what's currently on my playlist for November is this artist, Asake, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, a Nigerian artist. So... I would say it's like a mix between Afropop and Amapiano, which Amapiano is like South African house mm. interpolated from a lot of like New York music, actually. I'm really, really enjoying his music right now. And then Channel Tress, one of my favorite, favorite artists. Incredible crossover of house and hip hop. Um, and if you haven't seen his live show, incredible. So there's a song, 6AM, he just put out. I'm pretty sure he's dropping an album very soon. So this is a single from the album. That's another uh, artist I'm really loving right now. And then Salt, that's spelled S-A-U-L-T. They also dropped an album recently. And there's this one song, Glory, that's just like a journey. It's it's amazing. So those, that's just a sneak preview of the top three songs on my playlist right now. So I'll be listening to all these songs on my way back. Yes. The burbs. <laughs> so, Zainab, in the end, if you were to define America in a word or oh, a wow. sentence, how would you do that? <laughs> oh, uh, I have a word, but it's so cheesy. So let me think about this. America is opportunity. Hmm, true. That's how I see it. America is opportunity. For some, at least. For everyone. Hmm. I think for everyone. It's what you make it. Yeah. This was so good, Zainab. I am so glad we were able to do this despite all the subway delays you mm-hmm. here. And it was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, wasn't this fun? I learned so much about hip hop and how it has evolved to include diverse communities. You know what? I feel like whatever our preconceived notions about hip-hop have been, especially older generations, it's time to rewrite those narratives and deploy a new story. Anyways, this episode was produced by me, Sadia Khan, written by me, and Zia Jafri, editorial review by Yudi, and our editor for this episode is Hazik Ahmed Farid, Come back next time when we have another incredible episode. Take care.